If you were here last Sunday, you know the, the choir from Norfolk Christian School sang us out of the service with the African-American spiritual, Wade in the Water. Words are, Wade in the Water, Wade in the Water, children, Wade in the Water, God's are going to trouble the water. And the idea for that song is found in the story that John tells in chapter 5 of his gospel. It's about the pool of Bethesda, a pool that had five porches around it. And around that pool would lie people of all sorts of sicknesses and diseases, blind people, lame people, whatever the disease was, they would lie by the pool because they believed that at certain times an angel of the Lord would come and stir up or trouble the water. And that the first person in the pool, when the water was stirred, was the one who would be healed. Could that happen? Absolutely. Did it happen? We don't know. Neither John nor Jesus say one way or the other whether it happened or not, but this we know for certain. When Jesus showed up that day at that pool, he caused a stir and healed a man who had been lame for 38 years of his life, and then it was on. Then the stirring began. That choir sang that song because it was in their repertoire. They sang it because it was upbeat. It was entertaining, and they sang it well. We enjoyed it. But that's not the reason I think they sang that song. I think the Lord through that song was sending us a message that something is stirring. Something is going on. We need to watch. Where is God stirring the waters? You know, two weeks ago, we not only talked about, but God stirred many of you to commit to work hard and to pray hard, to wrestle in prayer for one another, but also for this city. God stirred us to make that commitment. You know, we are walking around the city right now during Christian Ed, praying for the city. God is stirring something. We have seven guys, you heard him prayed for, nominated for deacon, and these ready, these guys are ready to get busy with ministry. I feel guilty leaving Kent McCarahan alone with these guys for training, because I'm afraid they're going to devour him, and you know, we need Kent, so we wouldn't want that to happen. God is stirring at least one of the small groups. There's a small group, man, they are ready to move out and change the world. There are individuals in this church that are looking at the gifts that God has given them. And they're calling and they're asking, how can I use this gift through the church to reach the city of Charleston with the gospel? Something is stirring. Last week, God stirred our hearts as we looked together at Isaiah chapter 2. And we saw the, the long view of what will be, what will happen when God really begins to stir up the water. When people from all nations, all nations, Come, not in a trickle, but in a stream to the mountain of the Lord. People abandoning their philosophies, abandoning their religions, and not acknowledging that Christ alone is Savior of the world. People abandoning their lifestyles, going to the mountain of the Lord, saying, teach us the ways of the Lord so we can live the life that he wants us to live. Our response to that should be, Lord, I don't want to just wade in the water. I want to dive in the water that you are stirring. I want to be a part of it. This morning, we're coming to Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to be looking at this chapter for a few weeks. Because in it, we, like the disciples, receive a commission of the Lord to go out, in a sense, to to get in the water. And we need to hear that commission come from the lips of the Lord so we know that it is His call, not my call. It's 
the Lord's call on all of our lives. We receive instruction in this chapter about where to go and what to say and what to do and who to trust as we go. And we need to hear that from the lips of the Lord as well. So that as we move out, we are following not our own plan, but we're following the plan of the Lord. So toward that end, if you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 10, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother Philip, John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would bless, as you promised, this reading and hearing of your word. The power of your spirit, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see your truth, ears to hear your truth, hearts, Lord, to embrace your truth. Use it, Lord, by the power of your spirit to change us, to transform us, to make us more into the people that you desire us to be. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Look with me, if you will, at verse 1. And that verse tells us that Jesus called his twelve to him. He gave them authority. And verse 5 says that he sent them out, the twelve. Now let's put this in context for just a minute. At the end of chapter 9, we find two of the most famous, most quoted verses in all of Scripture. You heard them before. Jesus says there to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, if, if the disciples obeyed Jesus in this, and if they indeed prayed and asked the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest field, what would their prayer have sounded like? Well, maybe it would have sounded like one of our prayers. Yes, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would send someone, Lord, out to minister, Lord, send someone to share the gospel with those who need to hear it. And around the room, there would have been a ripple of, yes, Lord, amen. Amen, Lord, send someone. Jesus says, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, come. That's what it says. He called them to himself. Uh Uh-oh, their lives are about to be stirred up. And Jesus says to them, you go. You guys, you are the answer to that prayer. You are the laborers. And the same is true for us. We've got to look, stop looking for others to be the answers to the prayer and ask the Lord this. Lord, how might I be the answer to that prayer with who I am? With how you have gifted me, how might I be a laborer in the harvest field? When I was working on this passage, 
I must confess, I was a little annoyed with verse 2. Look in verse 2. I was annoyed with that. And I thought, why would Matthew interrupt this pointed, this powerful commission that the Lord is giving to list the names of the apostles? And I almost decided to preach the parallel passage. Instead of this one, I thought, well, I'm going to preach from Luke chapter 9 because it's so much cleaner. And it says this, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. I like it. Clean and simple. But I know that the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to put this list in this place for a reason. So I thought, why, Lord? Why is this list of names here in the middle of this wonderful commission? And I can't give a definitive answer to that question. But if you ask me, what did you learn? How did the Lord encourage you? Those questions I can answer. In verse 1, Matthew calls them the twelve disciples. But verse 2, he names them. He makes them individuals. And he read, he calls them each by name. That list is in this place for us. This group of 12 is made up of individuals with individual gifts. And we see some of those. In Nathaniel, who is here called Bartholomew, he's the man in whom Jesus said there was no guile, no deceit, nothing false. How the Lord can use that gift of honesty and sincerity and authenticity to extend his kingdom... Nathaniel was the real deal, and, and the Lord can use that gift to change people's lives. We also see the individual struggles of some of these men. Peter's temper, and his instability, and Thomas's doubt. But all of those struggles came under the authority of Christ. And all of those struggles came under the transforming power of the Spirit of the Lord, so that the, the volatile, often unstable Peter becomes the rock, the steady, stable rock that Jesus said he would become. Thomas, he touched the nail-scarred hands and the sword-pierced side of Jesus, and he exclaimed, Scripture says, My Lord and my God. And he became a man of faith. We look at these individuals and we see different skill sets. Some of them fish for a living. I know some of you would like to do that too. They do. That's how they make their living. They fish. Matthew's a government worker. He goes, collects taxes. Simon is a, del- a-, a zealot. He's a political agitator. He's the guy with the, wa- you know, waving the signs. He's the one going to the secret meetings, figuring out how to overthrow the government. He's one of them. And so we see in this list different individuals with different strengths and different weaknesses and different vocations at different stages of being transformed by Jesus. In this, they're just like you and me different strengths, different weaknesses, different vocations, different stages of being transformed by Jesus. When we look at this list of apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're always at the top of the list. No matter where in the Gospels you find the list of apostles, these guys head the list. They are what we might call the stars among the disciples. Biographies are written about these men. Let me ask you if you've ever heard of of these people. Have you ever heard of Edward Patton, William Guest, or Merrill Knight? I hadn't either. Not by name, anyway. I had to Wikipedia them. I only knew them together as a group called the Pips. 
And they backed up Gladys Knight for 36 years with hits like I Heard It Through the Grapevine and Midnight Trained to Georgia. Gladys we know. The Pips we don't know. Not by name anyway, but they supported her. They made her a star. They were vital to Gladys Knight. And so we come to the end of the list of apostles. And we see names of of guys that are now obscure. What can you tell me about James, the son of Alphaeus? Or Thaddeus? What can you tell me? Probably nothing. We hardly know anything about them. Let me ask you, have you ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Who's heard of Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers. And back in the days before there were such things as megachurches, Charles Spurgeon, he had one. And from the years 1863 to 1891, over 5,000 people came every week just to hear him preach. Biographies have been written about him left and right. His sermons are still being compiled and put in books. You can buy them or you can access them easily online. I did not get this sermon online. (laughs) But have you ever heard of Lavinia Bartlett? Lavinia Bartlett was a woman's Bible class teacher at Spurgeon's church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And in 1859, she began a Bible class for women. Three people, three young women showed up. During the course of the first month, the class grew to 14 women. By the end of six months, the class had grown to over 600. And it's estimated that during her 14 years of teaching the Bible, Mrs. Bartlett added over 1,000 people to the ministry of Tabernacle Church. 1,000 of the 5,000 through Lavinia Bartlett. And what's more, the growth was conversion growth. The women coming to her Bible class were not jumping around from one church to the next, one Bible study to the next. Neither she nor her students were renting out a coliseum so that she could lead a conference so that Christian women from around the city or around uh, the country could come and hear her speak. These women were new believers brought to Christ by this now forgotten woman who faithfully taught the word of God. And perhaps that's why she was not famous. She worked among those who didn't know she was supposed to be famous. You know, if we get outside the Christian circle, if we get outside of our Reformed circle, and the names that that cause us to say, wow, they're not even known. Now, what I'm getting ready to tell you is actually the truth. I promise it's the truth. But I've actually talked to pastors. I've talked to pastors who have never heard of John Piper or Tim Keller. I promise. They said, who? Like, you don't know? No, they didn't know. And so Lavinia Bartlett worked among people who knew her only as a woman who opened her home, who opened her heart, and who opened the word of God to them. And Spurgeon called her house a house of mercy. And he said that she trained her disciples into a band of laborers and kept them all at it to the utmost of their abilities. And the result was that the kingdom of God grew tremendously through the ministry of this now obscure woman. The list of names here assures us that none are obscure. It's just people that when God stirred the water, they got in, they did their work, and they're now forgotten. But that's okay. 
Their work has eternal consequences. And so I'm encouraged, you're not obscure, I'm not obscure. According to Mark chapter 6, this group of 12 that Jesus sent, he sent them pairs. We see here in Matthew, he puts an and between every couple of names. They went out in pairs. And there's no indication that one pair was any better than the other pair. They all accomplished the purpose for which Jesus sent them. And so now I'm glad this verse is here. I'm not annoyed anymore. As a matter of fact, I am greatly encouraged because it's here. Because I know that the famous and the obscure, all of them are used by the Lord. And this list of individual names, instead of just the twelve, it prevents us from being lost in the crowd. From just being one of many. We are that. But we are never lost. We are never without a name. Never. This list prevents us from praying only Lord send laborers, nameless laborers, and allows us to risk praying, Lord send me. And putting our own name there. In church, we're often like students in the classroom. And when the teacher asks a question that's too difficult to answer, every head goes down. And we tell ourselves, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Don't look at the teacher. In church, the same way. The quickest way to get people to bow their heads to pray is to call on somebody to pray. And then, boom, every head goes down. Don't look up. Don't look up. He might call on you to pray. Hold your head up. We've got no reason to put our heads down or to refuse to make eye contact with the Lord because of how we view ourselves or or how we view our gifts or how we think God may or may not use us. Remember, none are obscure in his family. And you and I have to believe that. None are obscure. None are unnecessary. None are unusable. And if you think you are, if you think really that any of those things are true about yourselves and you don't know who you are in Christ... You don't. And you don't know what the power of Christ can do in you and through you. Don't believe the lie that you are unimportant or that you are obscure or that he cannot or will not use you. He can and he will use you when he's stirring the water. If you're thinking that God can't use you just as an excuse not to do anything because you don't want to get in the water, then shame on you for hoarding your gift. Shame on you for lying around the pool and abandoning your fellow laborers for the kingdom to do all the work when God is stirring the water. You, I, all of us are called to go out, to move out, to get in the water. And this passage proves that as well. Let's move on and look again in verse 1. We're only going to get to verse 1 and 2 today, so yeah, relax. Uh, Matthew in verse 1 refers to the 12 as disciples. Then look in verse 2. Instead of calling them disciples in verse 2, he calls them apostles. And you and I, we often use those words interchangeably. We call them the disciples, we call them the apostles, we just go back and forth. But actually those are two completely different words. Completely different words, completely different meanings. And Matthew uses the words that he uses on purpose. Only once in his gospel from beginning to end... Does Matthew ever use the word apostle? And it's right here in this verse. On the other hand, he uses the word disciple or disciples, at least in the NIV translation, 76 times to describe these 12 in particular, but also anyone who is a follower of Christ in general, of which there were many. Many people followed Christ while he was on earth. 
This is what disciple means. Disciple is one who engages in learning through instruction from another. A pupil, an apprentice. That's a disciple, a learner. A disciple binds himself or herself to someone else in order to acquire his practical and theoretical knowledge. And so as disciples, which you and I are, we are to bind ourselves to Jesus so that we can know him more and more. And as we know him more and more, love him more and more. As we love him and know him more and more, we want to live like he lived more and more. And so it's a good goal. It's a right goal to seek to be a disciple. A goal that when we achieve it to a greater and greater extent becomes such a blessing in our lives to learn more and more of who Jesus is. But, listen. The evangelical church in America has too many people who want only to be disciples. As we define disciple anyway, the evangelical church in America has too many people who want only to be disciples as we define disciple, because we believe that disciple is passive. We just learn, disciple me, disciple me. I want somebody to disciple me, sit and teach me. Because we believe that's what a disciple does. They sit, or in Jesus' day, they walk around and they listen to everything that the teacher tells them. And they just soak it in. That's what a disciple does. But now look, in, Matthew, in verse 2, Matthew switches from the word disciple to the word apostle. And I think that Matthew switches here because this is the first severing. The first occasion where Jesus, in a sense, is trying to unbind them from him. They've been so bound to him and to his every word. And Jesus is trying to unbound them and let them know that they are more than just passive learners. Makes me think of Mary Magdalene. On the morning when Jesus was resurrected... And John says that Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. See, Mary saw the resurrected Lord. She was filled with joy. She called him teacher, interestingly enough, and she clung to him. But Jesus said, let go. Release me. Because Jesus had work to do. He was going to return to the Father. She had work to do. She was going to be the very first evangelist ever, the very first human in all of history to proclaim that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. As a man, Jesus had taught her. She had been his disciple, learned many truths. He had demonstrated a character of grace and mercy and compassion and justice as her teacher. But now, as her resurrected Lord, he was sending Mary out to a new work that he had given to her. Don't cling to me as your teacher. Serve me as your risen Lord. It isn't enough to sit and learn. All of us have to do something with what we have learned. If, if I don't, if you don't, if we insist on being sponges, where we just sit 
and, and, and soak it up in church where we soak it up, at a conference where we soak it up, at some other parachurch organization, all this wonderful teaching. We just soak it up, soak it up, soak it up. Then we become like a wet sponge that's saturated with water and never wrung out. We will sour. And you know, you know how badly a soured sponge smells, don't you? It stinks. And so we sit and we soak and, and we sour. And the kingdom of God is not going to be extended through in that way through us anyway. Instead, we've got to learn something. We learn something. And then we go wring ourselves out. And we come and we learn something else. And then we go wring ourselves out. We, we take and we give. We take and we give. We learn from Jesus and we give it away. Discipleship is a great thing. Jesus calls us to make disciples, to go in the world and make disciples. But if disciples learn what Jesus really has to say, then a true disciple, someone who is really a disciple, will also be an apostle. And that's the word that we read in verse 2. The word apostle is derived from the Greek word apostello. And it's a, it's a compound word made up of two words in Greek. One is stello, which means to make ready. The other is apo, which is a preposition meaning from or away. And so the word meant to make ready, to make ready, to send away. Apostello, that's what the word meant. And it was first used to refer to a cargo ship that had been uh, supplied and made ready to send out, or to a fleet made ready to go out to battle. Later, it denoted a commander of a naval expedition or a band of colonists sent out overseas. As used by the writers of the New Testament, the word came to mean a messenger or one who was sent on a mission. And the word wasn't strictly limited. Paul used the word to describe men such as Barnabas, Epaphroditus, Apollos, Savannah, Timothy. In Romans chapter 16, Paul says, uh, uh, greet Andronicus and Junia, who was almost certainly a woman. <gasps> they are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Understand, I understand that the word apostle has a very special, has a very technical reference, and that it, it referred to these 12 and these 12 alone. I understand that these 12 men have a special relationship with Christ, a relationship that no other human being will ever have, because they walked with him, they talked with him, they learned from Jesus while he was alive as a man on earth. We cannot replicate that. And because of that, they had a special position in the church that was to be founded through them. I would never belittle that office, and I would never suggest that any of us could rise to it. But the commissioning about which we are reading this morning, it takes place about one and a half years, about halfway in to Jesus' ministry on earth. The first time that he's sending the apostles out. So at this point... Apostle would probably refer more to the general use of the word as one sent out on a mission than to the very technical meaning that was unique to the twelve. Because see, Matthew was there. He was one of them. And he remembers being sent out. He remembers what happened on that trip. He remembers that Jesus was not with him. He remembers that it was just him and his partner. He remembers that he wasn't following Jesus around anymore. He remembers that he was out doing ministry. Ministry that Jesus had prepared them for. Just like the ship had been prepared and then sent out. 
carrying precious cargo, sent out as a colonist, really, as a colonist for the kingdom of Christ to establish this new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so here is a colony of kingdom of heavenites, and here is a colony of kingdom of heavenites, and here is a kingdom, a colony of kingdom of heavenites. Because the disciples came to understand. Jesus made them understand that they were more than passive learners. They were active builders, colonists of God's kingdom. And so here's the deal. Jesus said, pray, pray for laborers to go into the harvest field because they are ready to be harvested. They're ripe. Then he called them, come to me. Now you go, I'm sending you. And so it is with us. When he called them to himself, they were disciples. When he sent them out, they were apostles. You and I have to see both of those reflected in our lives as believers. We're called to be disciples, to learn from Jesus, to bind ourselves to him. He's the vine. We're the branches. But we're also called to go. And verse 1 tells us that Jesus gives his authority. He gives us his authority to go. And so we've got to hold our heads up with confidence. And we've got to find our voices. We can't have spiritual laryngitis. You have a voice. You have a voice. And Jesus has given you something to say. As a disciple, as a follower of Christ, you have learned something from Him. I know you have. There's something about the Lord right here in your heart. There is. There's something about who He is Something about what he has done for you that is dear to you. And that's all you have to tell. And that's probably the best thing that you have to tell because it's so real to you. And because when you tell it, it's going to come across as so real because it is so real. And it isn't something you memorize, some method or some outline. You start talking to somebody and say, and then, oh, let's see, ah, wait, there are four of them I know. Let's see, one, two, no, my outline. I know what I'm supposed to say to you, but I can't remember what, no. The Lord has given you something to say that someone else needs to know. Something that perhaps brings a tear to your eye when you tell it, or something that when you tell it brings a a big smile of joy to your face. But please, just don't be a disciple only. Let's not just be disciples only. Let's also be apostles in the sense that we are prepared. You are prepared. You are Maybe not as much as you want to be. Maybe not as much as you hope to be someday. But probably more than you think you are. You're prepared. The Lord has prepared you enough right now to do whatever it is that He calls you to do right now. And so you and I need to break away. Break away. And watch for where God is stirring the waters and join Him where He is at work. Let's pray together. And before we pray, I'm going to ask you to do this. If you take your bulletin and find some white space, and if you have a pen, uh, I know how it is for me after a worship service. Something special about being together in the presence of the Lord where His Spirit is working and He stirs us to do things. And we leave here and we forget about them quickly. So we're going to bow our heads and take just a few 
minutes uh, of silence, and I want you to write down something, if you have something to write, about what the Lord is stirring you to do. Somewhere in your life, maybe a person, something that you sense the Lord is stirring, write that down uh, and ask the Lord to help you or to let you join him there where he's working. So let's just take a few minutes, bow your heads, write on your bulletin, if indeed the Lord is stirring you, and then I'll close in prayer in just a minute. Father, again, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, we know that all of us leave this place and go, in a sense, to a different pool, different places in our lives. Lord, we pray that you are working. People in our lives whose hearts you're stirring, things are happening in them, through them, to them, and Lord, we can look for those, and we can be bold enough to, to dive in to speak a word of truth, whether it's the gospel, whether it's some other aspect of truth about who you are that would minister to them in that situation. I do pray that you would cause us to be as eager as those people were around the pool at Bethesda. So eager, watching, waiting for the waters to stir so that they could jump in and be healed. Lord, I pray that we would be that eager as well to to watch where you're working and jump in and join you there and be part of this great thing that you are doing, part of this great uh, picture and vision of people from all nations coming to you, to worship you, to acknowledge you as the one and only true and living God and Savior of the world. Lord, none of us are too obscure to have a part to play in that huge enormous, grand vision. Pray that we would step up, take our place uh, in the pool as you stir the waters. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.